Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance. Welcome to Living Truth Radio. Today in Genesis 34, we're going to deal with some hard subject matter. Dinah, the only daughter of Jacob, is going to be abused in this chapter, and it's going to bring up some hard questions about Jacob's passive response, the violence of the brothers in response to this, and where is God in all of this? That's today on Living Truth Radio, and we're going to deal with some of the application and ask some of those hard questions in the message and deal with it at the end. So stay tuned. We're glad you're here on Living Truth Radio, and a heads up to parents that there's going to be some mature content in this message. Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, Genesis 34 is another sordid chapter in the book of Genesis. That's why I've named the uh, message tonight, Shame in Shechem. And what happens in Shechem is a shame. And some people might even ask the question, why would we study a chapter like Genesis 34? And I truly don't have a great answer to that, so let's just skip over it and we'll move on to chapter 35. No, just kidding. We're not gonna do that. Um, here's what the Bible says, and I, I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy, holding your place in Genesis 34, to show you what the Bible says about all Scripture, a reminder, but I think an important reminder, and I'm going to take us to a little wider context in some familiar verses. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 14. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. He's under the tutelage of Paul. And Paul writes these words about the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. If you're not there, just take a listen. He says, you, however, speaking Paul to Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings of the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. All scripture, not some, but how much? All scripture is inspired by God. See the word inspired there? It's a Greek word called theonoustos. It's the combination of God's name, theos, and breathed. All scripture is literally God-breathed. Scholars say that the way that you could put this word is to say it's literally breathed out by God, or God breathed out the scripture or the words on the page, if you want it that way. And it's all inspired by God. And it's all what? It's all profitable to you. For what things? For teaching, for reproof, that is, to be instructed, to be reproved on matters of life, to be corrected for correction, for training in righteousness or right living. That the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped, and one of the versions says thoroughly equipped for how many? Every good work. Move into chapter four, verse one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor, here's his instruction, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, his tool will be the word of God to do all of the above with great patience and instruction. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching or, or doctrine. Sound is the word where we get healthy. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The instruction of a pastor is to teach and preach the word of God. And since all scripture is inspired by God, then the pastor's job is to teach what? All scripture. And that's why when we go verse by verse through the Bible and we come to inconvenient chapters like Genesis 34, and it's not the most joyful section, we teach it anyway because it's in the Bible for a reason because God breathed it out that we might take it in. And I'll tell you, there's gonna be some hard things to listen to tonight and things that uh, the family of Jacob does, the children of Israel, the actual beginnings of the nation that are ugly, one thing that happens to one of the family members and then how they respond to it. Now just uh, so that we can catch up, and uh, I'll just say one other thing about the nature of Scripture if you go to Genesis 34 is, if the Bible was a man-made book written by some Jewish scribe to make the Jewish people look good, you would never have Genesis 34 in the Bible. But it's not just Genesis 34. There would be a lot of chapters that would not be in the Bible. Because this is warts and all. This is all the ugly stuff that you would find in the mainstream, mainstream newspaper tonight on, you know, 2020 specials, on those shows that show, you know, what happened to this person, they disappeared, family member killed them. You know, this is the kind of stuff that does appear on the pages of Scripture because the Bible is a divine book. It's not, a, it's not a book that man just, you know, said, hey, I want to make the nation of Israel look good. Genesis 34 would not be there if that was the goal. Now, last week we saw Jacob. He had come to this ominous moment where his brother Esau, after 20 years, would meet him face to face. Jacob did everything humanly possible to try to protect his family. He offered gifts to uh, Esau, his brother, he uh, tried to protect his family. He ended up on the other side of the brook and a divine visitor, a mysterious divine visitor showed up that night, remember, and he wrestled with that divine visitor. Hosea 12, commenting on this, this chapter in Genesis, he held on and with tears and he says, I don't wanna let go unless you bless me. And Jacob was renamed to Israel and I told you that one possibility of the name Israel means God prevails, and God did prevail that night. And Jacob got touched, remember? He got a new name and a new limp, right? A new name and a new hitch in his giddy-up. He never walked the same after that. And he went out and he met Esau, and he bowed to the ground seven times, and he stepped in front of his family, and he was probably thinking the worst, and Esau, when he saw everything happen, Esau ran to Jacob, fell on his neck, the Bible says, they wept together, they kissed, and the brothers reconciled. And a huge weight went off of Jacob's shoulders, and Esau and he, you know, they dialogued a little bit. Who is this? This big family you have. Wow, look at this. You know, you've got 12 sons and a daughter. Look at all these animals, servants, everything. They caught up a little bit. 
Esau says, hey, I tell you what, we'll ride out in front of you since I've got 500 men with me. We'll afford you some protection and off we'll go to Mount Seir in the area of Edom. And so uh, if you don't mind, Brandon, throw up that map for a second. Okay, I'm not sure if we can all see that very well, but hopefully you can. And so a little bit of uh, Jacob's journeys, uh, we can kind of see where he goes. And we're going to have some, uh, if you can bring me up, if you don't mind, Brandon, bring me up that pointer if it's back there so I can show folks uh, where he's headed. But anyway, so... um, he, Esau offers him protection. He says, look, I've got this, this militia and we'll go out in front of you. And Jacob says, oh, no, no, no. Look, we got the servants and the animals. We got little kids here. I'll tell you what, you go ahead and go. Everything's cool, bro. It's nice to be, you know, reconciled and all of that. And, and he goes, well, let me give you some men. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want the men. We don't, we don't need anything. We'll follow you to Mount Seir, but Jacob had no intention in following his brother. And so Jacob went back to his old ways. This is kind of what we talked about at the end of last time's message is that Jacob was renamed Israel, God prevails or governed by God, but he often still acted like Jacob. Jacob means what? Conniver, deceitful dude. And we can all relate to that because even though we have a new name, Christian, and a new walk, and hopefully it's not with a limp, amen, that doesn't mean that we don't still fall sometimes into our old ways. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have the spirit and the flesh. Thank you, Brandon. And the two are contrary one to another. We are in a battle. Can I get a witness? It's a war. See, the flesh wages war against the soul and the body against the flesh against the spirit. And then we have the world and then we have the devil. And sometimes it feels like we're doing good as a Christian, right? We're even letting people in on the freeway. Go ahead. It's cool. I'm filled with the spirit, baby. And then there's other times. How many of you saw, was it the goofy driving video? Anybody see that? He will, <laughs> he's all friendly and happy until he gets behind the wheel and then, oh, man, he's mean. Anybody like that? <laughs> all right, so, so he ends up and he comes to this place called Sukkot. Now, I, I mentioned to you that Sukkot is actually uh, the, the word for booths or tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot for the Jewish people is the Feast of Tabernacles. If you'll notice where Sukkot is located, he is not yet in the promised land. So when he lies to his brother and he moves to Sukkot, and when he gets to Sukkot, he basically uh, decides that he's going to set up camp there. And scholars would say that's a compromise because God's called him to go to Bethel. So he does eventually... And we don't know if he moves back and forth, but he moves from Sukkot and he crosses the Jordan and he ends up at a place called Shechem. And Shechem's gonna be at the center place of our story. Shechem is 20 miles north of Bethel. Bethel, Bible students, means house of God. It's the word for house, which is Beit in Hebrew. You could spell it like Beth, B-E-T-H. And L, E-L, is the name of God. So when you take the bait and the L, you get the house of God. 
And that's where he had that incredible dream and he had Jacob's ladder and he said, I, I didn't know, but God was in this place. Remember that? We've all had moments like that. We didn't realize that God was there, but he was there. And so scholars would say, what we have here is when he settles in Shechem, he, he kind of um, settles for not the full promises of God. He doesn't go back to this original house of God. This word Shechem if you look it up, means shoulder. I don't know how much, to, how much to make of this, but it seems to me that when you fall short, when you don't go the full distance in obedience with God, you end up shouldering a lot more stuff than you should, amen? You end up running into trouble. You end up running into promises. Now, some people say that, you know, this area of Shechem is an area that's very pagan. If he would have moved down here, maybe the land would have been more to himself, uh, I'll let you do a little bit more homework on that. But the bottom line is that Jacob kind of went between being Israel, God prevails, I'll let God govern my life. And then he had other moments when uh, it just wasn't happening. And he went back to Jacob. So that's what's going on there. So here's what happens now. So he does, he does build an altar at the end of chapter 33, verse 20. And uh, just notice, uh, let's just skip back for a second. Verse 18, 33, 18 in Genesis. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. It will become Israel. And when he had come from Padan Aram and camped before the city, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hands of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money, then he erected an altar there, and he called it El Elohe Israel. It has the idea of God is the almighty God. Now, it sounds good, sounds religious, everything seems to be going cool, but here's what happens now. Here he set up camp in Shechem. Chapter 34 says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom, he had born, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. Now, as we move into chapter 20, uh, chapter 34, Dinah becomes the subject matter. Dinah is the only daughter in this family. Jacob has, he will eventually have 12 sons because Benjamin will eventually be the youngest and one daughter. Now, can you imagine being Dinah in this family? It'd be pretty cool to have, you know, 11 brothers, right? And eventually 12, right? They'd be pretty protective older brothers, don't you think? And so Dinah comes along, her name is a Hebrew form of the word Dan. Dan means judge. And a judge could be one who judges you in the sense of a bad thing, like you know maybe a condemnation or holding you accountable. But a judge also could be an, a, a protector or a vindicator. So Dinah is the Hebrew female form of Dan. And so here's Dinah, she's the daughter of Leah. Remember, Leah was the older daughter, not the one that Jacob really wanted to marry, but she got snuck in by, uh, by dad Laban. And so she had several children. Before Rachel could even have children, she was having children. And so she bore to him Dinah. And so here's Dinah. And scholars believe that Dinah is probably about 14, 15 years of age at this point. So that means that Jacob's been in the land for a while, and all of a sudden, this, the focus of this story becomes Dinah. Now, when a, a young uh, lady like this was growing up and she was becoming a teenager, 
what they would do is once she became of marriageable age, she was pretty much told to stay in the tents of her family. And if she was going to be married, the father would arrange a marriage with a, a uh, potential uh, uh, suitor. And the two dads would agree on a dowry and all of that. And so Dinah, you know, she's an up-and-coming teenager, and I'm sure she wants to see the world and all of that. So Dinah went out to visit the daughters of the land. Now, it would be hard, don't you think, if you only had brothers. Wouldn't you want to hang out, girl power? Wouldn't you want to hang out with some girls, some girl talk? You know, what do you talk about in the tents, you know? They come back and talk about livestock and, you know, Larry the lamb over here with the floppy ears. And, you know, how much can you talk about and with brothers? So she decides to go out and visit. Now, when she goes out, when she went out, the Hebrew word can have the connotation that she snuck out. So, you know, we think that it's a modern phenomenon when that teenage girl sneaks out the window. I don't know what kind of windows they had in tents back in the day. But apparently, Dinah snuck out of the tent. And she did it behind Leah's back. Mom, you know, may, may not have been watching or whatever, but that's the implication of the language. She went out, and she went out to visit the daughters of Shechem. Now, the daughters of Shechem would have been kind of the typical pagan young ladies. And uh, we're going to find out in this story that there's a, a lot of stuff going on here. And as she, she went out, I don't know if she normally did this. I don't know if she had a group of friends that she would normally go out and visit, but she went out and visited the daughters of the land. She, she wanted to go out and just kind of see the world. But when we go out and we leave the covering of the tent, as it were, whether it's the tent of God or the tent of our family, and we, we go out, what happens to young ladies often who feel sometimes, let's face it, parents, sometimes our kids feel a little stifled and they kind of want to go out and check things out. And we all have to figure that out as parents, how much, you know, where are our boundaries and how much, you know, do we, we let them see some things but still protect them. And that can be a hard balance sometimes. And I know this room is filled with those of you who have daughters. I don't have any daughters, but uh, I had nieces, and uh, I tried to kind of, you know, be a second dad to my nieces, and I would warn them, here's what you should look for in a young man. He better know the word of God, and, and bring him over here. I'll shine my shotgun and talk to him, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so my heart goes out to you if you have daughters. So anyway, so Dinah... You know, she, she goes out, and she's in this place called Shechem, and she's left the covering of the tent. And she's going to be, she's all of a sudden going, going to become very vulnerable. We live in a world where our kids, when they stu- start to go out into the world and start to, you know, spread their wings a little bit, they can be very naive about life. Amen? Uh, we do, we we as parents were always warning. You know, my mother would always warn me when I was leaving the house, be careful. She would say, in your daily activities. And I said, okay, Ma, uh, uh, do you watch the road when you drive? She would say to me, no, Mom, I'd mess with her. No, I, I like to look to the right. I, I like to look northeast when I'm driving, just to see how things are going on. <laughs> You don't, you're not on that cell phone when you're driving, are you? 
She'd have a whole list of questions for me, and then she'd reiterate, and then she'd reiterate, be careful, and all that stuff. Now, I do it. I, I find that's like the last thing. I either, either need to get I love you or be careful out to the boys. And, you know, it's just the parental thing, amen? This is kind of just what we do. We're concerned about them. Now, you have a father in heaven, and you're his child, and he's for you, he's not against you, and he gives you guidelines in scripture to protect you. God is not some killjoy up in the heavens that just says, you know what, every Christian that's born again, I just would my singular goal is to ruin their fun. I don't want them smiling, I don't want them laughing, I don't want to, I just want them to just kind of stay in the tent. That's what my mother would like me to do, by the way. Can't you just stay home? <laughs> then we make announcements. Oh, I'm going to work my mother tonight. We make announcements. Who's going, who's going to go on that mission trip? Shane's not going on that mission trip, is he? <laughs> She'll start asking questions. During the church service. It's like, mother, people do travel. Oh, no, no. <laughs> anyway. But I know what motivates my mom. My mom loves us. You know, when your father in heaven gives you guidelines and he says, stay within these guidelines for your safety, he knows what the battle's like. He knows the enemy. He knows the spiritual warfare that you're going to deal with. And he tells you what he tells you because he loves you. And sometimes, if not all the time, we have to learn the hard way. Amen. And we go out, and we can warn people, and we can mentor people, and we can say, hey, you know, be careful. Well, Dinah went out, and she decided to hang out with the girls of Shechem. It doesn't seem like that bad of a deal, but here's what happened. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, Hamor the Hivite is uh, here in verse 2, he was the prince of the land, something like a king or, you know, the one in charge when he, Shechem, the son of the ruler, saw her, saw Dinah, he took her and he lay with her by force. So when she was out there, and you know, you can read commentaries on this and they say, well, was this the typical MO of the people of this land? Did they just kind of, you know, did they just look at your relationships this way and was it just you know part of their pagan practices to not think twice about you know uh, uh, taking a girl by force we don't know for sure we don't know all the practices but we do know this sometimes these things happen in pagan rituals so here's a vulnerable girl she's probably a young teenager she goes out there and all of a sudden this guy sees her and the language is very strong if you have the ESV it has the idea of he saw her he seized her. He laid with her by force. He raped her. He raped her. And all of a sudden, Dinah's in this situation where this man grabs her, and now he's had his way with her by force. And this is a tragedy that does happen. And, um, you know, I know in a room like this tonight are people who are listening to my voice. I know that there's things that happen in this world that, can happen in our past, and uh, sometimes there's abuse that's happened to people, and they have, you know, maybe a, something violent was done to them. Sadly, there's, you know, there's these things, these kinds of things happen in our world, and it's hard for people to try to recover from this kind of stuff. 
And Dinah was in that situation where this man grabbed her and, and took advantage of her, of her. And she was, she was out there and vulnerable. And we've had, you know, we have stories. Uh, I'm trying to analyze our audience because I don't think there's any young people here. But we have, we have, audi we have uh, uh, situations in our world where, you know, there are people who are in the sex trafficking industry who have snatched girls off the street. We have situations where men have posed as college students, convinced young vulnerable girls that they had all the best intentions, got them to go somewhere, and all of a sudden that young girl is now in the sex slave industry. And they're telling us, people who are experts in this field are telling us it's happening in the United States as well. Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio. And you just heard a message on Genesis chapter 34 with Pastor Michael. I have a hard question to ask for Pastor Michael, but it's also a reality that people ask about the Bible. Now, Pastor Michael, you spoke on the study on a hard subject about um, Dinah being sexually abused. And, you know, let's just call it what it is. She was raped. Yeah. And people who don't know the Bible say we don't believe the Bible because it's full of violence and we will see later on in this chapter that the two sons of Jacob are going to carry out their own vengeance they're going to slaughter everybody because in retribution for the act that was played on their sister how can we address this to those who aren't familiar with the Bible and encourage those who are familiar with the Bible one, one approach that we do have, Oscar, and we've talked about this in the past, is that the Bible is real. If a story was being made up by some scribe in a palace trying to convince people to believe in the God of Israel, you never would have written a chapter that would have included Simeon and Levi devastating a whole you know, village and uh, the rape of this, this daughter. Why wasn't she protected by God? All these questions come up. Mm -hmm. But it, the Bible just tells the story for what actually happened. I was thinking about, you know, rape and, and abuse and thinking about how many women, for example, in the world mm -hmm. uh, get sexually abused, how much rape goes on, how much date rape goes on. Um, there's so much of it in our world, Oscar. So I think actually this particular story would cheer me in this sense. Not, we would dec we decry what happened here, but it, but it cheers me in this sense. The Bible is real to life. Mm -hmm. It tells real stories about what happened to people and how consequences occur and warts and all it's out there. And this happens by the leader, the, the, the man who's going to be called Israel in the next chapter, right? Yes. It happens by Simeon and Levi, the Levitical line that Levi is behind the Levitical, Levitical line, the whole priestly line. And so to me, Oscar, it shows you that the Bible deals with real life. Now we can ask the question, where is God in all of this? Yes. And, and maybe that's your follow-up question, but, but I think we need to say on the record, Hey, this is real. This really happened. And the Bible doesn't hide what really happened in the behavior by some of its uh, most known characters. Uh -huh. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.